Welcome back to the exit ramp from Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Hello again, everybody. I'm Greg Thompson. And if you're wondering why you guys are hearing the theme song from the My Three Sons sitcom from the 60s and 70s, well, it's our way of taking the exit ramp on this Father's Day weekend with some stories about fathers from three sons, Jimmy Mack, Long Haul Paul, and yours truly. This episode also has a special treat, a live recording of Long Haul Paul's song about his dad, entitled Good, Strong, Quiet Man. Now, as we take you back onto the exit ramp for this Father's Day weekend, Paul is once again running down the road during our recording session as Jimmy Mack leads us off with a great story about his dad. So guys, it's Father's Day, and one of the really kind of great stories I have about Father's Day, not in regards to the day itself, but about my dad. So I grew up in a neighborhood off of Florida Lee, which is perfect New Orleans story. We grew up on Florida Lee Boulevard. All the streets were 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st. You get the idea. We grew up on 20th Street on Florida Lee, right in Lakeview, which is the heart of New Orleans lakefront neighborhood. It's a Catholic white enclave, although most of the city's Catholic. So we grew up over there, and down the block from us, Harry Connick Jr. lived. Harry Connick was about a year and a half older than I was, and his dad was also kind of political enemies with my mom's brother, who was a judge. And Harry Connick Jr. was incredibly talented already by that. I mean, he was already a prodigy. It's around the time that I am, I guess, eight or nine years old when this story occurs. So we had this kind of warring faction against his buddies. We had our little bike gang. They had their little bike gang. And one day I got surrounded by myself by their gang of bikes. Harry was not with them. We all became friends, by the way, at the end of all of this. But his friends surrounded me while I was on my bike, and I had just learned to ride. And they kept on kind of bouncing against my bike. It threw me from my bike, was literally thrown from my bike, and went on my face. It scratched up my face really bad. I had cuts and bruises all over my body. It was really scary. It was one of those things that was so bad, it stopped the fighting between both sides. You know that moment when kids kind of wince? A lot of marks all over my face, and it really, really hurt for a long time. As a kid, you don't understand that when you land on one side, the other side of your body can actually hurt after that. That kind of impact on the ground. And I remember it was so bad that I couldn't go to school. I mean, it was that bad. It made me physically sick to stand up. So I was kind of confined to bed while I recovered. And I remember waiting for my dad to come home. And he came home the first day after it happened. He brought me the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe book collection. They still have them. This is back when they actually meant them in those boxes with the books inside of the box. The box that would bind the paperbacks together. He brought me those books. And the reason I kind of tell that story about my dad, and it wasn't this way with my other brother. My brother John was a big reader, but he didn't have that passion for books. And my father had a giant library. And I don't know if you guys heard the Saturday show. Dog Walker and I talked about the vast collection of books that his dad had. But I remember that when I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, what an impact that made on me because I read the entire collection over the weekend. I read them all. I just kind of poured through them as I kind of recovered from that injury. I just remember... Look, you got five kids, life is busy, things happen. But the one thing I could always get my father's attention on was anything that involved like the imagination of reading. The story that I was hinting at on today's show, as opposed to what I'd be talking about on Father's Day, 
is when Dungeons and Dragons first came out, it was all the rage and people were playing. I'm not a big fantasy guy. I was an okay fan of the Narnia series because I was also, as a kid, very, very Catholic in the way that when you have a very Catholic mother and father, you embrace all of that. So I enjoyed that. And I remember I wasn't a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons where other people were. I liked the idea of using your imagination. There was a lot to be excited about, but it wasn't quite my thing. I did like a lot of the artwork in it. I was always drawing pictures from all those books. And I found there was a book called Deities and Demigods in which they kind of laid out the mythology, the pantheon of gods, goddesses, and supernatural entities from like the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Norse. In the middle of it all was a chapter called Eldritch Lovecraftian Horrors the monstrous beings from H.P. Lovecraft's world. And I got really kind of interested in that. And I started going over to the library, the New Orleans Public Library, where I'd spend my summers. I'd go there in the mornings and read and just pour through books and then go swimming or play Little League Baseball and all that. I remember I started reading Lovecraft then. And I was kind of a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, but it wasn't my thing. Then I remember reading someplace that there was this new game called Call of Cthulhu, which of course was based on the Lovecraft story. And a lot of people who actually got into Lovecraft will tell you, their gateway into Lovecraft wasn't reading books by Lovecraft or even stories by people who wrote about the same universe. They started playing that game, which of course meant that rather than having hit points, you had those, but you had sanity points. That if you got too much information or saw too many terrible things, you'd go insane. And I read about this in one of those gaming magazines that used to have in abundance back then. I remember finding out about it, and I called on the West Bank, this toy store on the West Bank of the river, on a Thursday evening, and they had one copy. And I was so worried that the copy would be gone. I went to my dad, and this is a Thursday evening, not high school yet. I said, Dad, 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 this game has come out. It's called Call of Cthulhu. It's based on Lovecraft's works. Would you give me a ride? If I can go pick it up and, well, could you pay for it too? Because I'm 11 years old. I don't have a job or anything like that. The thing I remember the most about it was the same thing as the arrival of those Narnia books. When you got five kids and your finances are slowly changing, like we talked about last time, you're still kind of on the upswing there. But I remember he didn't blink. He literally called the place up and he said, do you have this? And they went, yes, we still do. He said, I'm coming to get it. I will be there before the close. There's no good reason why you shouldn't pull it from the shelf, put it behind the counter and wait for us to get there. Because if we don't show up, you can put it back on the shelf tomorrow. And you can tell somebody if they come in looking for it, it'll be on the shelf tomorrow. And I remember on a Thursday night, on a school night at 11 years of age, my dad and I piled into the car. And as far as a long drive goes within the city, that's a long drive back then. We got in the car in Lakeview and drove from the east bank of New Orleans, across the interstate, across the Twin Spans, which are the two Mississippi River bridges that cross there, into Gretna, into the west bank of New Orleans. We went to the toy store and we picked it up. At the time, I just thought it was cool and I was glad we did it. But I look back on it now and I realize that one of the great gifts my father gave me, I didn't even realize the message I was being sent, that when you really communicate to a good parent that you have a genuine passion for something and they recognize that that's something that you want to do or that you're interested in doing or that inspires you or makes you happy. A parent will bend over backwards to make sure that you get the thing that you need to make your childhood as happy as possible. 
that's kind of how I wanted to open up this since we're talking fathers and fathers day like I said there's a lot of stuff from Saturday's show that we could probably dig into that was really great a lot of great phone calls but I didn't get a chance to tell that story on the air and I'm glad I didn't because anytime I have a great story that I didn't get a chance to tell on the air it means that I had so many good phone calls and so many guests I ran out of time and that's a good thing but I thought I'd open up by sharing that with both of you and just get your thoughts on that. Jimmy, that's a great story. It sparks a number of thoughts in my mind, and we've got Paul on the road. I wanted to give him a chance to chime in first. I had a story loaded in the chamber, but your story evokes a different account now. So my grandfather was a butcher who came from Germany. He was a Metzgermeister. He came during the Weimar Republic with $30 in his pocket, and he did very well in the United States. And then after World War II, we had cousins who fought on both sides of World War II. Some were German, some were from the U.S. But several of my grandfather's cousins came to the United States, worked and sent money home to Germany. Well, one of those became the director of a large sausage plant in Bavaria, and he came to visit us. I was 16 at the time, and I was already smitten by a bad case of wanderlust. I was going to military school every year. I had an aptitude for being gone and not being homesick. And I asked my dad, would you ask Cousin Arno if I could come to Germany and work? And he bought the plane ticket for me to go there in the summer of 76 on the condition that I would audit a conversational German class at Ball State University so I'd have the language. So he connected me with something that I was passionate about, which was, I guess, traveling. I guess that sort of foretold, in a sense, that was my happy place, going somewhere far away and seeing if I could make it. I came back from Germany a little bit heavier and with a pair of lederhosen on, and I was fluent in German when I got back in the summer of 76. But the fact that I had a dad that would do that for me meant a lot. I almost didn't come home because there were so many educational opportunities there. But I was co-captain of the basketball team my senior year. The old team thing. Didn't want to let the team down. But they said, if you want to stay there, learn to be a butcher, learn to be a brewer, yeah, just stay over there. There were seven children in my family. And it was like, if that's what you want to do, go do it. So we were like free-range kids. I walked to school when I was five. There wasn't this helicopter going on then. You were kind of on your own. Yeah, and by the way, my favorite part of that story is your dad being like, you need to go over to Ball State and take conversational German. I love the fact that it becomes about the practicalities. Like, yes, this is going to happen. That strikes me as really good parenting. Like, I'm going to really encourage you to follow your passion in regards to this, but I'm going to also make sure that you understand there are things you need to understand. And if you don't understand them, it's going to make this a much less rich experience. And by the way, you, my friend, and I have that in common. Is there anything better in this world than the going and the doing? I mean, it's like the most fun ever. I mean, to go places, to go places and to meet new people and to make new friends and to discover new possibilities. It's like Twain's great comment about the quickest way to stop being a racist is to start traveling. What a great start. Can you kind of tell me about that, Paul, what it was like to actually arrive in Germany? Was there culture shock or was it just delight? I mean, what was it like to like arrive in Germany? We have all these cousins in Germany and all of them had this deep gratitude towards my grandfather because he was employing a lot of people and they were actually sending food there after the war. 
So my cousin Fred, they called him Friedel. He worked for my grandfather and he picked us up. We wound up at a gas house and I ordered bacon and it came out to me raw. They serve that bacon raw. No, that's just how we eat bacon here. I'm like eating raw bacon because I don't want to not eat but they test every hog for trigonosis. Back then, I was 16, and you could get beer anywhere. They were drinking beer at 9 in the morning at this meat plant. And my cousin said, this is how I avoid labor problems. It was in Bavaria where they do that. I absolutely loved everything about it. One of my deep regrets is I did not continue to correspond with the friends that I made. Greg and I were talking about this before. I don't know why writing letters was such an onerous task for me. But you look back on that, you said, dude, you could have kept those associations alive and those friendships. But there were other things on my mind as a senior in high school, and I let that slide. I have a theory about the letter writing thing, because I wasn't great at it for a long time. And my theory is this, when you're a person who loves talking to people and loves listening to people, it's very hard, I think, to make the leap sometimes with a letter. You know what I'm saying? That it's very hard because you have to almost kind of imagine talking to the person to really write the letter well. And then, of course, for me, the other problem was every time I sit down to write anything, and I love writing. I keep journals. I write the shows. I do all that stuff. But I also realize I work structurally. And the idea of writing a letter and then rewriting it to get it right just seemed like such a chore. But at the same time, the idea of just writing the letter and giving somebody a letter from me that was disorganized just drove me crazy crazy man and also the fact that i had nobody looking at me and nodding while i talked or me being able to stop talking and listen to them say something as well i might be part of it because for a guy who does a lot of creative stuff like you do and has no problem writing the articles you write and all that i feel like that there's something tactile that's missing when you write a letter for people who are naturally verbal and communicative just a thought i had when i heard y'all talking about it earlier too letter writing is a lost art I kind of did it sort of out of necessity. I think we were talking before we started recording. I moved to Minnesota when I was 15 years old from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a culture shock. My dad worked for 3M and he got transferred and we were going to Minnesota. That's a thousand miles away and a whole different thing where you're moving from a smaller town to a major metropolis. But he was great about that stuff. It was a big life change for him, but he made sure that the family was ready to do it. I was the oldest in our family. Being the oldest, you kind of get things tried out on you. But I also got the privilege of being with him to do some things. He bought a piece of lake property in the Chattanooga area. At the time, it was like 1968 when he bought it. And it was two and a half acres, 200 feet of shoreline, waterfront, and a cove. He got it for $2,000 cash. His plan was, I'm going to clear it, I'm going to build a cabin. My dad went to Iowa State. He was the first in his family to go to college. His dad was born in 1895. And his dad grew up on a farm in Missouri, in Marceline, Missouri, in Mark Twain country. My grandfather was in a large family, but he was sort of in the middle and his dad died and all his brothers, tragically farm accidents or getting sick, they all passed away. And it came down to my grandfather when he was eight years old, had to go to work. And he started working for the Santa Fe Railroad at age eight. And he retired from the Santa Fe Railroad at age 70. So he worked for 62 years for Santa Fe. But they ended up moving to Fort Madison, Iowa, on the Mississippi, kind of in that Mark Twain area. My dad was the first to go to college. He was an only child. 
He worked his way through college by playing saxophone in jazz bands. He was a guy that just knew how to get it done. So when it came time to build this lake house, my mom went to him and said, what do you know about building a lake house? He was a ceramic engineer, so he knew engineering. He had to answer that question, what do you know about building a house? He goes, well, I don't know anything yet, but I will know when I'm finished. He built this beautiful cabin. Had a great room, two bedrooms, screened-in porch, and at the time, the longest dock in the history of TVA. It was like 150 feet. Wow. And I got to go out there for several years. I carried lumber. There are Super 8 films of me working out there with those guys carrying two-by-fours and stuff. As I think back on that, what a wonderful experience. You just learn so much. And to Paul's point, you ask your dad, yeah, if you go learn German, you can go do this. My dad, yeah, I want to do this. And he'd say, well, make a plan. So he made sure that you had skin in the game, which was part of growing up. It's so funny, too, because you actually, not accidentally, because it kind of spills in as well, too, but the topic of the show today, the idea of which is what you're planning, what you're working on, and of course, to kind of spill that into the Father's Day topic of what have you done with your dad. It's interesting because so many of the calls that kind of fell into the rubric fell into your rubric where it's like, we're going to do something together and we're actually going to do it together. It isn't going to be, you're not going to watch me or check in on me. It's like, if you want to actually watch dad do this or watch somebody do this, you have to pick up some lumber. You're going to have to actually learn how to master this kind of stuff. And it's funny. I guess my question for you is, did you realize what was happening at the time? Like I said, I had this uncle once who right. took me on the road to go take a cross-country trip to go paint a house. And I remember on the way back, we stopped in to this art supply store. He paid me, and I was going to use the money to buy some art supplies. And when I got the stuff, packed it up, and I brought it up to the counter, he paid for it along with having paid me for my services. I thought it was great. I was very grateful at the time. But what I realized that happened was is that he really wanted to connect. He wanted to make sure that I understood the labor I had done, that he was also giving me a bonus on top of that. I didn't realize it at the time. And so I guess I'm asking is, did you realize when it was happening, when you were helping him out? And I guess the same question applies to you, Paul, when you were told, go to Ball State and take German. Did it occur to you, that makes a lot of sense? Or did you both have a sense of, I'm being looked out for here. Somebody's actually looking out for me here and kind of prepping me up up to be an adult. Were you able to distinguish what was happening? The thing for me is that I felt like I was being included. He was doing this and he was bringing me along. He was pretty straightforward. Paul's got this great song that we're going to share during this. It's called Good Strong Quiet Man. Paul, you've got a line in there. Jesus never said he loved you. Yes. So my dad was like he would include you. And I know that my dad loves me. I have no doubt in my mind because my dad, he's not one of these people that has to say it. And his thing was that he's very straightforward. Hey, I want you to come with me and we're going to do this. There were no promises. There was no BS. It was just like, we want you to carry some wood. I think I was seven years old when I got put on this project and I actually stepped on his plans. There was a kid's tennis shoe mark on his actual drawings and he kind of looked at me, but he knew that brought me along. So that was part of the thing. My brother was three and a half years younger than me. He couldn't come along. So I was like seven. So it was great to be included. My grandfather yeah. came out. But just that sense of you're being one of the guys. And there were times too, Jimmy and Paul, that we'd be out there working. There was one time where they dropped the lake 
And that's when my dad decided to build this large boat dock. And he had these creosote poles where they took these station wagons out and all the station wagons got stuck in the mud. Oh, wow. I knew that these cars had chains. So I'm like, hey, Dad, what about putting chains on the cars? And he's like, you know what? He stopped. And the fact that he listened to that suggestion and they chained the cars up and they got them all out of the mud. And that was because he took the time to listen and he treated me not as an equal, but as somebody that could contribute. And that just helped me in my path, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And it's a great point, too, because being loved is not being included. They're not the same thing. They're absolutely not the same thing. There are plenty of people who are loved, some of whom are adored, who are not included. All one has to do is talk to any girl from the 40s, 50s, or 60s who had a dad who included their sons but didn't include their daughters. The other great joke is there are plenty of people who love their children and do not like them. One of the things about being included often means being liked. It means that you're company is tolerable at the minimum if you heard the show on saturday you heard me say that one of my favorite things i love to do is i call it creative cacophonous coffee with my dad the thing i love about that is the fact that it's like all we're doing is talking which means if you're sitting there talking with your dad and he's talking to you he's rehearsing ideas against you and anybody who is rehearsing an idea against you bouncing it off you is talking to you as a friend talking to you as somebody whose company is desired and liked it makes a big difference i guess the same question applies to you paul do you get where i'm coming from did you feel like when you were told go learn some german that it was like that makes a lot of sense or did you feel something deeper in that acknowledgement my dad had a wider appreciation of the greater scheme than i could possibly when you spoke on air today about your dad not being a really handy guy that really resonated with me because my dad was sort of like your dad he worked behind a desk And remember when you asked, did you ever build anything with your dad? I racked my brain. We never really build anything together. In fact, my son, Jordan, our second oldest son, we went to his house one day and he had built this gorgeous dining room table where we were all eating. And now he's a contractor. He does remodeling work for people. And I don't know where it came from. And I took my wife to the side. I said, I'm fixing to demand a DNA test. Where did this come from? Because none of the Marovers are that handy until my son comes but he had a pretty good grasp of the grander scheme of things here's just a little story about that so back when the cincinnati reds played in crosley field even though it was a rundown part of town it's a rundown stadium that they weren't going to keep it was a great place to watch a baseball game and my dad told me look bring your mitt in case you get a foul ball the whole idea was absolutely outlandish to me how am i going to catch a foul ball well We had seats right near the first base. In Crosley Field, I mean, you could hear Pete Rose grunt as he slid headfirst into home. It was such a compact stadium to watch a ball game. And foul balls were coming in all the time. I caught one. I mean, they could not have deliberately thrown a foul ball to me that did not come closer to me. And my dad had a friend at that game. They were sitting not with us, but a few rows back. He said, here, I'll get an autograph for you. He came back with Pete Rose's autograph. It was just a beautiful memory. Fantastic memory. Your dad tells you something. You can't put it all together. Sometimes it's like a good producer telling you do this. You don't know why. But when it all comes together, you see why. By the way, the first Cincinnati baseball game that I saw in Cincinnati, I saw at the Great American Ballpark, and I saw it two years ago. This is really funny. No, I'm sorry, last year. You know why I saw it? 
is because I was vaccinated. I was vaccinated very, very early. I found out because I cover baseball so much that Cincinnati had this deal that if you had a vaccination card, you could actually go see Cincinnati baseball for free. I was in Nashville and I got in the car and I drove there and presented my vaccination card and walked in and watched the baseball game. I watched the Cincinnati Reds. That's a gorgeous stadium. I know about Crosley. I never went there, but Crosley was like so many other stadiums, a relic. But if you get a chance, go back, Paul, and go check out the Great American Ballpark because it is a Great American Ballpark. My love of baseball actually came from something that my dad did for me. 1968, summer 68, my dad was working with 3M and one of his customers was Monsanto. One of the guys said, I got these tickets, do you want to use them? And he had four tickets, so it was my dad and he brought me and my uncle and my cousin. My uncle, who's 94 now, I'm like six years old. I'm barely conscious. It's a memory, and it's a very strong memory now, but it's one of those first memories that you have. And we drove to Atlanta, which I don't think I'd been out of Hamilton County. We go down to Atlanta, to the old Atlanta Stadium. It's late July of 1968. They're playing the San Francisco Giants. Hank Aaron hits his 500th home run, and they pass out these cards. You were here. And I was like, I was hooked. And my dad kept this card, and then when he moved to Minnesota, he actually lost that card. And when Hank Aaron passed away last year, I put something together for Facebook and actually found that card on the internet and scanned it and sent it to him. And he was like, yep, that's it. My uncle, who's my godfather, my uncle's the reason I came back to Chattanooga. So he's almost like a second father to me. He said, come on down to the promised land. And I came down here and built a life. But when I started doing what I'm doing right now, back in 2013, I started taking him to ball games. We'd go once a year. 2017 was the last game that we went to. He was 89. He was a little frail and he couldn't get out as much. And we went into now what is Truist Park and walked around. And I purposely took him to that 1968 Braves team photo and said, yep, we were here that year. 49 years later, just a good memory is going to reflect on Father's Day weekend. Guys, we've been talking on Dad and the like. I am going to take my leave. It is good talking to both you guys, Greg Thompson and Long Haul Paul. By the way, Long Haul Paul, you still owe me a Snake Train song. I think you got to write me a deep fried skank song or something like that, dude. I'm really kind of itching to get my hands on it. Hey, I actually do have a pretty good start on the snake song. I think there's one in the works, okay? So to close out what we're doing here, Paul's got this wonderful song called Good, Strong, Quiet Man. And Paul, why don't you take us out by telling us a little bit about it? And we'll play the song to close out this edition of the Exit Ramp. Oh, great. So my dad's birthday is right around Father's Day. We're actually going up to see him this week. He'll be 92. So I think it was about seven Father's Days ago. Everyone got together and bought him a really nice video camera. My brother had this idea that we would all sit down and tell a funny story, an interesting story, sort of like what we're doing today, and he would compile all of them. I was just hitting just a dead end. Because I could not compile a story, or at least a story to tell, I know it's sort of like writing letters. Well, why wouldn't a guy like you write letters? But I just decided instead to compose a song for my dad. And that was the first time I had ever sung in front of my dad. I don't know why that was. And he absolutely loved it. 
it was a really kind of a breakthrough song for me because all my siblings that were able-bodied, they'd all graduated from college, been very successful. One was an attorney, one spoke 12 languages. There's a teacher, there's a librarian, there's an executive in there. And I was kind of the truck driver, maybe a little bit of the black sheep. And when my dad heard that song, then he wanted to hear more songs. And he's like, Paul, you're a poet. And it was such a breakthrough thing between my dad and I, because my dad was a Marine officer. He's a very structured guy. It took me a long time, took us both a long time to sort of understand each other. Jesus Christ, he never said I love you. He just took and died on Calvary. I guess my daddy weren't as such finacity so much. Volunteered for Korea back in 53 Still he brought home the bacon by the carload I'm talking New York Strip Sporky's pork roast and hams and Then he'd settle in his old blue chair With his book and his grenadier Show me what it meant to be a man Cause the heroes They don't make much noise They just leave the boasting To the boys Took me 50 years To understand There's a makeup man That I just can't find Something the silent space Is down between the lines But if you don't even try He won't give a damn I was born to a good, strong, quiet man He taught me how to line my shoes out just like a soldier He used to take me flying in his plane And I'm an old man now and suddenly it's not much older Loving boys while we got them just the same. Come on, work. the war it ended well the war it ended just as they were sending them over they knew I was coming were the only words he spoke but if the truth were to be told I was a good 14 years old before I realized that old Marine was just making a joke And if you take him aside once You might just ask him About the hell I put him through when I was young One thing you need to know before you go and sass him have some idea how fast he still can run 
makes much noise I just leave the boasting to the boy Took me 50 years to understand That there's a maker man that you just can't find Something in the silent space is now between the lines But if you don't even try, he won't give it I was born to a good, strong, quiet man Come on, get in here and work, boys. Get on close to the mic. Thanks for spending part of your day with us on the exit ramp a podcast from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Before we close out this edition of the podcast, we would like to invite you to stay connected with the latest from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo, by downloading our smartphone app. You can start using the Podwheels app by accessing the download menu option on our podwheels.net website or by searching Podwheels in the Apple Store or on Google Play. Finally, folks, be sure to check back with us right here for the latest episode of The Exit Ramp from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo.